0: Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Ian Hates Movies. My name is Ian, and I am joined once again by my buddy... Wow, see, I'm already... My sickness is already there. My buddy, Nick, is on the phone as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let everyone know right away. I, I don't think it's COVID. I think I'm just having ridiculous allergies to the major changes in weather patterns. I think that's what I'm dealing with. But... You might hear me sniffle a little bit. You might hear a little bit of that. I don't know. It's like Monica from Friends when she was sick and when Phoebe was sick from Friends. I always remember that. I don't I don't know why. I'm sure we just lost a bunch of listeners from just bringing that up. But, Nick, how are you feeling today?
1: I'm good. And in Ian's defense, uh, I did have a righteous fart right before we started. <laughs> so, Muddy, uh, luckily enough, does not describe me right now. Uh, <laughs> Luckily, that trusting that fart worked out well for me.
0: Yeah, I can smell it. That's <laughs> how potent it was. It didn't matter that you muted anything; I could still just <laughs> just, just wopped it. So, and this is a level of show that we do, people. So
1: <laughs> yeah, class.
0: <laughs> go ahead, buddy. What were you gonna say?
1: I was gonna ask. So, coronavirus. I can get that over the internet, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think most of the time, if you go to Twitter. That's
1: when you get yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, they got the 5G there. You got to look out for that, Ian. Oh, you always you have got to look 5G. out for the 5G.
0: And it might be because I switched my phone over yesterday from the basic Wi-Fi to the 5G Wi-Fi. That might be the oh. reason right there. Ah, yep. oh, damn. Hate to see it. I'm a dummy. I, <laughs> Bill Gates gets dummy. you again. He got me. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, sickness or not, I am in an amazing mood right now. And I want this on here for posterity because basically what happened was I just watched Liverpool, my team, destroy and dissect our arch rivals Man U at their own fucking home. We won five to nil. And I, I like that. Nick has absolutely nothing to say to that because he knows nothing about soccer. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. I appreciate that.
1: Except for that that phase in like 2004 where everybody was an Arsenal fan.
0: Uh, Well, I mean, only losers, but yes. I I do (laughs) do remember that. I see. I thought you were going to talk World Cup because anytime World Cup comes around, there is a large smattering of people that start to really enjoy it. But you you would be really surprised. I mean, they packed out the L.A. Coliseum today for like the NBC, whatever the fuck that they do where they have all different fans come as like a fan expo type thing but anyways yeah. all i want is that it's recorded on this episode of how much liverpool is greater than man U. they're probably gonna you know fire their coach we made ronaldo cry uh it's just oh, it's just so great It's so great. I'm in such a great mood right now that if we were doing Halloween Kills, I would probably give it a positive review, and that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Oh, jeez. Yes. So, I mean, right there, you know I gotta be in a good mood. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Now, by the way, you've never, you didn't watch Halloween Kills, right? Nope. Okay. I would not recommend it. (laughs) Let's just go with (laughs) that. It's honestly one of the dumbest poorly written horror movies of all time. If you're out there listening to this and you liked it, uh I hope that works for you in life. It is nice to like terrible shit, I guess. But <laughs> we are actually today we're going to leave that behind. I just had to get that out there. You know, we joke around a lot on the show. We're going to talk about some real horror movies today and we're going to do this a little bit different because we are not going to talk six hours this is not going to be a six hour long podcast we are going to talk about fear street though so nick why don't you take this away for a second
1: oh well actually i'm thinking if you said halloween kills and then gave a review does this technically count as a four-part episode
0: Uh, i probably could does my review just what i just said just it sucks ass yeah yeah. Okay. They're going to have that on the crawl
1: like when they do the trailers nowadays with all like the Twitter reviews to <laughs> pad the actual like
0: Yeah, cuz like no Dune, Dune oh, one yeah. of
1: the trailers was just like a bunch of kids on Twitter who said like this is the crap I've ever done.
0: <laughs> and as <laughs> As you said that you kept breaking up, Nick. Are you back? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, I think it's probably the uh, the voice detection. I think as soon as I went too high and shrill, it was like, oh, prepubescent Nick doesn't count as Nick. We better clip that.
0: Yeah, we're not allowed to have anyone under the age of 14 on the show. Nope, we already made
1: one <laughs> fart joke. That's not our uh, target audience.
0: That's true. That is, <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> but getting on to Fear Street. Wait, are you sure we shouldn't yeah. talk about Dune as well? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, hey, five part
0: episode? Yeah, I'll start stacking them up. No, no, we should we should say that. We should say we both we both watched Dune, but I actually think we might both have different opinions on it. And yeah, by that, I think. But you're right. Let's do Fear Street. <laughs> that is our reason for coming together today. So why don't you take over for just kind of the outline of Fear Street for everybody?
1: All right. So, ooh,
0: that's a tough one.
1: Fear Street, Netflix series broken up into three, I would call it, like hour and a half long-ish movies.
0: Yeah, almost two a couple times, I think.
1: Yeah, and it, it goes into, well, I guess, three periods in history for mm-hmm. this town, or these two towns, Sunnyside and Shadyside, who seem to have, like, this overarching curse. Mm-hmm. And the three movies go into these three periods of time that are pivotal for the creation and, uh, I guess, interaction with the curse. Right. And it's through the eyes of uh, three kids, Josh, uh, Dina, Dina. Yep. and oh, God, Sam, Sam. Sam, yes.
0: Well done. Hey, you got it. Very nice.
1: Josh, Dina, and Sam who are like, you know, trying to survive as kids. And also it's in high school, oh, although they, yeah. they don't make it a terrible high school movie, which I appreciated.
0: Right. Yeah. They only had that. One scene in high school, maybe two scenes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, it was not, it was definitely not one of those. Now, do, are you familiar? I shouldn't say do are, are you familiar with the backstory of Fear Street in general? No, not at all. So do you remember the author R.L. Stein? Yep. Okay. So R.L. Stein did the Goosebumps books and then Fear Street was like the next level up where maybe you were more in middle school, elementary school when you read Goosebumps. Fear Street is more of like the middle school to high school type of style. Now, for me, I grew up with Goosebumps, and I love them. I still think R.L. Stein is a super talented author, for sure. I think he, I mean, when it came to twists, he puts M. Night Shyamalan to shame. I mean, I think he did (laughs) such a better job in every aspect of writing good horror, but also writing it where it was interesting enough as you grew older, but you could still like you could still enjoy it when you were older compared to just enjoying it while you were kids. Like if you went back and you watched a Goosebumps episode, like when they made the TV show, and I think that's on Netflix as well. If you watched one of those, I don't think you'd be like, oh, man, this sucks. I think you'd be like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad like this is just it's good it's not amazing and it's serviceable for younger kids you know what I mean
1: yeah and the best part is in the movie adaptation it would have poisoned my knowledge before if I was like oh this is like a you know a preteen horror <laughs> book sure. but realistically as just an observer as if you were with none of that knowledge like, yeah it, it was an incredibly competent series that didn't have any of like the, the dumbed down tropes that you see in a lot of you know children's horror
0: right and the reason for that and i think now i don't think the reason is because rl stein didn't have anything to do with the writing i don't think that's the reason for that happening but i think the other thing too is they made this all three movies are rated r they're not pg-13 so that was a big deal because normally you would think if you were adapting fear street you know books into movies they'd probably be rated pg-13 these go straight to r And like I said, RL Stein didn't actually write any of this. They're just using the, the property. They're using the brand of Fear Street. And this is probably one of the only times that I have been okay with that, where it's brought back, you know, they didn't, they didn't take any of these stories from previous Fear Street books. You don't have to be up on that knowledge. I'm not comparing these movies to the books themselves, which I actually really appreciate these are basically just, it's a rebooting of the brand almost. And I think it actually works where normally it would fail hard, but this doesn't. Yeah. So yeah, I think the big thing was having this be rated R was a major thing. And that comes into a lot of the kills, a lot of the topics they go into. And like I said, we're not going to do scene by scene today. We're going to go part by part, but kind of just talk about The whole entire series, because to me, I I mean, I don't think um, there's no spoilers for this because we're going to be talking about everything. I honestly think this is one of the best horror trilogies in a really, really long time. And I was trying to think back to what has actually been a trilogy. And most of the time you don't get them. You get one movie or two movies and then they stop or they continue going because you're not going to consider Friday the 13th to be a horror trilogy you're not gonna you know nightmare on elm street is not a horror trilogy scream was until they made that terrible fourth movie so you know you could have said that but now you can't and then the conjuring i think is probably the only one right now that probably holds weight with people but if you if you're asking me i take this trilogy over that one any fucking day yeah so what about
1: insidious
0: yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about more bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> we might as well talk about uh, Malignant if you want to. Start oh god. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I still stand by if Juan was making that to be a hilarious, you know, fucking comedy movie, then I want way more of those. I hope we continue with way more of those. But if that was meant to be serious, then he is one of the worst people to be doing horror. And he's he's made a lot of shit. He's made some okay things, but he's made a lot of fucking garbage. If that movie is serious, then he is terrible. <laughs> but, well, you know, we can leave that for, another, we can leave that for yeah. another day. Now, I will say, I would watch Malignant every single fucking day over watching Halloween Kills. Wow, There's no doubt about that. Malignant is... I mean, it shoots for the moon compared to what fucking Halloween Kills does. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I I might be talking to people who have not watched these movies. Go, just go watch them. Like, who gives a fuck? They're all they're all free. If you have Peacock, you can watch whatever. If you have HBO Max, you can watch whatever. I mean, it, you're not by me talking about something now. It's not like I'm even really giving it publicity because it doesn't matter. Everyone can stream them or not stream them. You're not going to the movie theater. If you go to the movie theaters for the shit, you're a rube. I mean, there's <laughs> there's no reason to do it. And what's nice about Fear Street is Fear Street is on Netflix. And what they did with the rollout of these three movies is they did them in three weeks. So it was a Friday premiere of the first movie, a Friday premiere for the second, and then the same for the third. Um, and as Nick mentioned, it's Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and then Fear Street Part 3, 1666. And I mean, come on, that's just having the 666 in in there just works out perfectly. So, Nick, why don't we give, why don't you start with a little overview of Part 1? Yeah, so Part 1,
1: we're in the mid-90s, which they like to really, really shove down your throats for like the first 15 minutes. Yes, Um, great music choices, by the way. Garbage Great music bush. choices.
0: Nine inch nails is so good.
1: <laughs> oh man. Great music choices. They set up the fashion well. You know, like classic good horror. I mean, you shouldn't have your sets be so dense that you can't just get tunnel vision a little bit. Like you shouldn't be distracted in eight million directions. You should just focus on what's happening in the moment and just kind of like get it done and get guided through the story. Which this accomplishes very well. Mm-hmm. In the opening couple, um, call it 15 to 20 minutes of character introduction. We meet Dina, we meet her little brother Josh, we meet, you know, we, the concept of her ex girlfriend Samantha, or Dean, I'm sorry, from Dina's ex girlfriend yeah. Samantha. Now, by the
0: way, they do, they set that up pretty well. I got to be quite honest, they set that up well because you're thinking, you know, as a normal, quote unquote, normal standard horror movie, especially in the 90s you're thinking that the name Sam is a dude. And they set that up pretty well, and then it turns out that Samantha's actually a woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know it's parts you would like. Nick. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but they set it up pretty well. You're right. I don't think that was a twist, necessarily. It was just like, look, we're going to give you strong female characters, which I know we joke about a lot on the show, but Let's be quite honest, in horror movies, it works extremely well. And it's always been that way. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you really have a horror movie where it's a guy left at the end? They, they don't have a, a trope called final guys. That doesn't <laughs> happen in horror movies. It's always final girls. And Dina is set up to be extremely strong. And she's written well. And she's believable. Mm -hmm. in her character like there was never a time where i questioned her motivation or thought that she was doing something extremely stupid they they don't do this writing down of the character which they easily could and i really appreciated that yeah i know that's uh that's the way i look at so continue continue sorry i'm I'm just gonna jump in here every once in a while (laughs)
1: yeah we're also introduced to the the popular friend kate yes and then the last friend who I'm forgetting is that Simon.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. Yep, that's Simon. All right. Oh yeah, so you're they're, it.
1: they're introduced as just like, oh man, we're your zany, popular friends. <laughs> who have zany hobbies like selling drugs on a school campus.
0: Yeah, berries and bananas. Woo!
1: <laughs> yeah, with with great catchphrases and code words. Yeah, yes. great time. The nineties. And we're baby. also. Int- Oh, yeah, and we're introduced to, like, this whole intertown rivalry between Mm -hmm. these two, I think they're neighboring towns, but they say it's a 30-minute drive to, like, get to their football game or whatever.
0: Yeah, but yet, you see, I would say that's maybe one of the only issues, technically, and such a small issue that I have with these movies, is the dimensions of what these towns are is crazy Mm. different for whatever they're trying to push the storyline to. Yeah. So I'm with you there.
1: Yeah, but there's these two. We'll call them neighboring towns sure. for the sake of argument. Sunnyvale and Shady Side. Yes. And it's like, oh, Sunnyvale's it's just, you know, like all the rich kids. They've got trillion dollar mansions. They're having a great time. Oh yeah. They're having fun. You know, like daddy lawyer money was kind of like the setup for oh, that yeah. vibe. For sure. And then Shady Side is the shady side and they're very subtle thematic <laughs> uh, event where it's like oh yeah it's you know a little bit more modest it's on the lower side of the economic spectrum which means all the children there immediately have great character and backstory
0: yes it works perfectly yeah they do that scene where they're driving in the bus to go it's going to be shady side versus sunnyvale school whatever and we're we're going to have to go backwards in a second as well um because we did skip a major part but When the bus is going by, you can see how different it's like small homes and like trailer park ish type things. And then a bunch of stores that have shut down. And then you get into, you know, in Sunnyvale and it's like you said, it's the mansions, it's the nice places. It's such a stark difference between the two towns. Yeah.
1: What did I miss, Ian?
0: The main first kill the the absolute first thing that happens in the movie
1: oh yeah we just completely jumped into the character
0: yeah, we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is I mean character development and talking about them is the most important but I will say this first scene takes place in the mall which makes an appearance later on as well which is important and and, you know, it's that classic once again, it's the 90s trope. you see like a build uh, a B Daltons I want to say Bill Dalton's <laughs> a B Dalton's uh, bookstore, or whatever and kind of like a Spencer's gift type place, you know when wa- when malls actually mattered and there were actually people that went to them. and there's a woman or a girl there who's working and there's another and I forget I've seen that guy somewhere before, uh, but I can't remember, but they're talking and he's gonna end up taking driving her home. Because she's worried, you know, because it's nighttime and, you know, everyone kind of knows about the story of Shady Side, and she doesn't want to take that risk. It turns out this is where you get the first kill where she's being chased by someone and you're like, well, maybe it's that dude, but you're not exactly sure. And she ends up and I, I will tell you right here. This is where I knew the director was good. The director who I believe might be a woman. I'm not sure. But used slow motion in 20 seconds better than Zack Snyder has ever used it in his fucking whole career. (laughs) And I just, when she's getting chased, she gets sliced a couple times. They go back and forth. She doesn't make stupid character moves, which I also, once again, like. What ends up happening is he ends up chasing her. They have a slow motion of her getting stabbed in the back. And they tumble to the floor. And I know it's going to sound kind of weird. But the kill that happens here was shot so well and felt really intimate. And when that kind of thing happens, it brings you into the world of the horror movie that you're watching. They're just the way it was shot and the way they kept on showing him stab her right in the chest. It was so brutal and well done. And then I'm not sure if you notice these kind of things, Nick, but I always kind of train on them. When she realizes who it is, you know, his his mask falls down. You can tell this is now this kid, the same one that she was talking to before. There's definitely something wrong with him. He's possessed by something. It's not just him being him. When she calls out his name and she's like, it's me. It's me. And then he gets shot in the head when he falls over. He actually keeps his hand on the blade and stuff like that is just so really well done and it brings you into the movie better. So right there from that opening scene, that whole scene between them and then that kill scene, I was like, oh shit, they're not going to pull their punches and they want you to care. Like we didn't know anything about that chick, but her death shows you that anything can happen to these main characters and that this isn't going to be something where they're going to shy away from really showing you what horror movies can do.
1: No, you're right. It's a completely intimate first kill scene. And just like, it feels claustrophobic. Yeah. Which is perfect because you're like running through this cramped little mall space. And then, yeah, you're completely engrossed by the time the opening credits hit right at the end. It's just so well done.
0: Yeah. And then that where where you go from the kill, you know, the police officer, the sheriff is there, he he made the headshot and then you go into basically let's show you the history of sunny or shady side. So oh by the way, I have to mention, I grew up with Buffy, Buffy the vampire slayer. <laughs> so I want to say Sunnydale so bad every time we're going to talk about this because that was the hellmouth. That's what I remember is Sunnydale, but now it's Sunnyvale. And shady side, so I, I I'm gonna mess it up for sure. But they go through the shady side history of all of these different kills by having you know news reports and, and newspaper clippings and all this kind of stuff, and you get a feel for what this movie is going to be. It's not going to be a one and done. They're going to be you know taking history and weaving it in and out of the story and making it kind of epic in a way, even though that term gets used way too much. But it's something that's going to have an impact on the history of these two towns. That's at least when I first saw that, I was like, this is how it feels to me. Oh, yeah. All right. So we got Was there anything you wanted to mention about that first part? Or are we good? No, I think we're good. Okay. So then do you want to take us from I mean, like I said, we're not doing scene by scene. But you want to do the basics of where we end up?
1: Yeah, so uh, after the school day ends and we're introduced to all the main characters, we go to, like, I guess this football game memorial something or other mm-hmm. for the first victims in the starting scene that know and I just discussed was fantastic. And as the bus is driving them home, after there's a little scuffle at the football game slash rally slash whatever, <laughs> uh, where... They're getting the school bus is getting chased by the rich kids in their daddy's BMW. (laughs) The shady siders, the poor kids uh, who have uh, such a well developed backstory because of it, uh, throw a Gatorade jug out the back of the school bus Mm -hmm. to make the car crash. Right. And the car crashes into these really desolate woods. Yeah,
0: it's really good. And what I like there too was Dina starts to have a nosebleed, which comes up later. But I think it's something that a lot of people might not have noticed where once you've seen all three parts, you understand what happens more in there, or maybe even when you get to the end of the second, you understand a little bit more. So you get a nosebleed, and then Sam is in that car that swerves and basically breaks, you know, you know, they have a crash, a little crash, they stop the bus, and then Dina and I think it's I mean, it might just be Dina who goes over to see how she is, and that's where you see sam and her have a little bit of an argument again but go ahead nick what what actually this is what's the main point of what happens here
1: yeah so when sam who is the ex-girlfriend of dina gets in the car crash with all the rich kids and her nose is bleeding she bleeds on this red moss ground and she gets like this crazy vietnam flashback of um I know, just like your classic witch diagrams. Mm-hmm. You know, like your classic, you see the ancient text, and it, it flashes on your screen, and it's all red. Yeah. And then she makes some kind of connection to the other side is generally what's uh, portrayed there.
0: Yes. So right there, they set up that most likely, Sam is going to be possessed by whatever entity has been, you know, buried there or whatever. So... That kind of gets you into that mindset of, okay, so you're waiting for her to change. You know, she's gonna be sick, and then you're going to see what happens to the group. And you also have the rich, you know, quarterback asshole guy basically threaten Dina, you know, we're gonna kill you, you know, for what you did in my car and just being a shady cider. And then you're still not sure what to think. At least right now, I wasn't completely sure what to think about good the sheriff because he's obviously on scene for this i don't know right now if he's good or bad
1: yeah but he says something oh, i forget what his exact words were but he's questioning obviously the kids are lying about what happened yeah and he, he's questioning them and he's like hey you, you can tell me what really happened like he, he seems to like you know try to get to the kids level and try to, to remove himself from the badge to make sure everybody's all right so it's like oh, maybe but he has like this weird sketchy vibe that's yeah. kind of hard to grasp
0: And maybe he knows something about the past. Maybe he knows something about what's going on and that's why he's trying to, you know, get that trust of the kids. And sometimes that plays out well and sometimes it doesn't, you know, in in horror movies and stuff like that. So at this time, you don't really know where you're going to feel on that or what side he is going to plant himself on. And they continue that pretty well, I think, for a little bit anyways. From there you learn a little bit more about the characters about kind of their personalities you know that Simon's kind of the weirdo fun guy you know Kate is the girl who wants to you know she's super smart she's uh captain of all the teams and their their whole goal everyone's goal is to get out of shady side but it doesn't seem to happen to many people because of this bad luck aura whatever it happens to be that kind of envelops the town so she's trying to do everything she can to get out which includes you know the drugs and all and all that kind of stuff and then dina and josh you can tell you know either their mother left or passed away and the father is pretty much like an alcoholic who works late and you know you never really see him uh until part three technically and you just get this whole vibe of the situation and you know that dina And Sam's mom don't get along because, you know, Sam, she won't accept that Sam is a lesbian. And you've got, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to do it because I don't want to do scene by scene. But basically what ends up happening is Sam is in the hospital. They go to visit her. You still continue to learn more about the characters. Was it now that Josh goes over everything or was it after the police department? I think it's after, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's after.
0: All right, it's got to be after because basically what happens is they go to the they go to the hospital. They rescue Sam. Sam's kind of boyfriend, jock guy, whatever, gets killed so they know this is serious. It's the guy from the mall again who comes back, obviously not dead, and then Simon gets attacked by Ruby Lane, who's a girl who walks around singing a song and has a switchblade and they shoot her. And then they leave, and that's when Josh puts everything together. Josh is kind of a, I don't know, uh, uh, I guess you would call him a quote unquote nerd. I guess he knows how to hack things. He talks to someone online about horror things, things that happen in Shady Side or Shady. Ah, see, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna fuck it up. Uh, Shady Side, and he puts it together once he hears about the singing. Uh, and I think one other thing he learns. He then puts it together and shows all this for this foursome group now. Hey, look, this is real. Most likely Sam's getting possessed by the witch. Here are all the people that the witch has possessed over the years and goes into the backstory that way.
1: Oh yeah. And then at the end of the the exposition, I always call that character like the nerd in the chair, the guy in the chair. Just like you're sure. there to Yeah, you're there to be nerdy, provide comedic relief. And then just, like, occasionally throw in a fact to move the story along. Yeah. That's always yeah. how I've, like, bundled that character. Exactly. And I forgot what the... What's their action item to get back to where their blood was spilled in the red moss from the oh. car accident?
0: They want to put her bones to rest. So they they think that the car accident, you know, upset the grave the site, basically. So, you know, Sam tells them, hey, I saw the witch. You know, it was weird, and you can see she's kind of getting sick, kind of. Uh, So they go back to the gravesite and they bury her properly. At, At least what they think, they're burying her properly. Yeah. From there, what ends up happening is that's not how you stop all this. One of the camp killers, who we'll talk about in the second part, comes at them and goes right past Josh. So you know there's something... Different about how they're trying to capture or kill the person they want to get to. It's not that they just kill everyone, there's a purpose to what they're doing. They escape, everyone gets out, and what they decide to do is they realize that Sam had bled on the bones of uh Seraphir. That is the name of the witch, Seraphir. So they're thinking, all right, well, if all these, you know, creatures that are undead and supernatural are drawn to her blood. Then we can make a trap for them and kill them that way. So they go to the high school again, and they basically line the bathroom with her blood, or at least a a mannequin or whatever, with her blood, with Sam's blood. And then trap, uh, is it three of them at this time, or is it four? I think it's three. It's the guy with the axe. Yes. The
1: one who does all the singing, laying. Yep, yep. Um, and the new skull mask guy.
0: Yes, exactly. So they trap him in. It's not a bad plan, to be quite honest. It's, it's really not. They have everyone has there's a little sex scene kind of between uh Sam and Dina, and then you don't really know how far Josh and Kate get. It's it's kind of a toss up there. And then Simon jacks off, I guess, because he's the crazy kid. <laughs> zany. Yeah, he's zany. But I mean, I guess if if you're gonna die then I guess you <laughs> got to do something. Smile so, on your face. Yeah. Exactly. Go out the way you love. You know, that's what they, that's what they always say. Come and go. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, like, that raspiness in my laugh? That's, that's the sickness. So,
1: anyways. <laughs> so, know.
0: what ends up happening is they trap them in the bathroom. They light it on fire. I think they were using what must have been a bunch of acetone. Maybe, you know, maybe um, IPA stuff, whatever it happens to be. Uh, that they got from the chemistry lab. They light that bitch on fire. They melt all of the creatures, and it seems like, fuck yeah, we did it. But then they end up coming back and basically regrowing, um, and getting back to corporeal form. But I mean, let's be honest, for a movie like this with a bunch of teenagers, that's actually a really good idea. That's not a bad horror movie thing to do. It reminded me a lot, a little bit of, at least a little bit of It Follows where the kids kind of have this crazy idea that they're going to be able to electrocute you know the the bad guy you know the the entity that is always following them and it's kind of yeah. dumb but kind of genius in the same way that's how this felt to me
1: yeah and it's like a good idea that it is possible for like a high schooler could come to that conclusion
0: right yeah it's not like yeah let's go believable. get machine guns and let's go you know it's it's nothing crazy like <laughs> yeah. that it's A legitimate they put two and two together they're smart characters they're not fucking morons so they realize this is a way to try and stop it and it is a good idea but it fails ultimately because they realize now they're dealing with something even more supernatural than they originally thought Mm -hmm. so they have to regroup they lock themselves in a room and this is where the characters also have a legitimate conversation where Kate and I think Simon too they want to ditch Sam yeah, they they want to leave her, and they say that's the bait. Once she's gone, they're going to leave. There is no what's even the point of doing this anymore. And of course, Dina, you know, wants to save her, and I think Josh too. But then Josh realizes that there was one last, uh, one saved person, one survivor from the camp attack. So they look up how to call. You know, they use a yellow book, which is crazy, and they <laughs> call <laughs> C Berman. And she doesn't call back, but they decide at that moment, okay, we're going to save Sam because it is possible for someone to live. And they find out, I think it's in the text, if I'm not mistaken, that she did actually die, but she was, uh, what do you call it? She was resuscitated. Yeah. And they believe that that's the reason why she was able to make it out when other people didn't. And they had told a story before about how, I think it was Simon's brother had, overdosed on pills and whatnot, but then was brought back. Uh, you know, they was say his life was saved by the paramedics. So their next plan is, well, let's do that then. Let's make sure all these uh, you know, creatures and and killers and whatnot are kept away from Sam, and they're going to basically give her an overdose and then bring her back. And that's where they go to the supermarket where I believe Simon worked. And then you want to take over on this one, Nick?
1: Oh, yeah. This is a great sequence. Really So, great. yeah, our
0: hometown
1: uh, pharmacist, shall we call them, <laughs> you know, they make their pill concoction from, you know, I guess, the pharmacy at the back of the, the superstore. And they tell her the order to take them in, and they make it very serious, like, hey, you need exactly, like, three minutes for this to cook. Like, let this sit in your stomach for a little while. You can't throw this up. Here's how you're going to feel. And then they really do put you in like the tense situation pretty well and make you, you know, feel the fear that the characters are feeling, trying to absorb all this information rapidly. Mm -hmm. And they have their same plan of we're going to, you know, put Sam's blood on us. We're going to try to, you know, chase the killers around and buy time for Sam to die and then get resuscitated by EpiPens. Yes. So they go up around the supermarket and they're getting ready for the killer's. And everything immediately goes to shit. The pills get spilled all over the place. Everybody's getting chased around, and and our characters start to, uh, shall we say, encounter
0: obstacles. <laughs> that is a good way to put it, Nick. Yes, they do. So, do you want to start off with the first kill? So the is the first one, Kate. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to think
1: chronologically. Yeah, the first one is Kate, the skull mask killer. Like puts her up on the bread slicing machine and pushes her through like with all the uh, serrated knives, kind of like, you know, the classic horror movie, the log cutting machine and the beaten up cabin. (laughs) There's like all the, the reciprocating blades and he pushes her head through it and it's super gruesome.
0: Yeah, they they stay on it, too. Oh, they stay on Yeah, they stayed on the whole thing, which I was surprised about, because she got stabbed in the stomach, and I was like, okay, I see. But they had shown the bread cutter, so I was like, oh, well, they're definitely going to put her through. But I thought they were going to cut away, and they did not. (laughs) They did not. No,
1: you see multiple slices of her head. Yep. It was a little
0: intense. Now, honestly, I will say, though, that whole scene, or the whole, you know, just being in the supermarket, I did not see them killing those two people. No, I thought we were making it out of this first movie with no one dying. Because just the way they had set it up, I thought we were going to get away with no one dying because we care about these characters, right? So I was like, yeah. okay, well, they're definitely not going to kill anybody. Or if they do, they kill one. But they didn't. They killed Kate. And then the next kill is Simon. And Simon was taken out so quickly, but it was because of seeing Kate that he had he stopped and josh stopped and then he just got an axe yeah through the head and i like that too because you don't want to have someone have the sappy goodbye kind of thing that that worked on the surprise end of horror kills and i thought they did that very well oh yeah but now the real challenge dina has decided
1: she's got to kill sam Right. So she's going to drown her in the lobster tank, which I thought was really quick thinking. Yeah, it was. And yeah. as she's attempting to, you know, murder her ex-girlfriend, who <laughs> she's obviously still in love with. And
0: let's be honest, who doesn't want to do that? Come on, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. Yeah. By the way, that's the line. By the way, that's the line that gets us canceled right there. That <laughs> after that after was all of this Jack Snyder shit talking. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So as yeah. she's drowning Sam, and obviously that's an emotional moment they handle well, Yeah. yeah. Uh, her little brother is running down the aisle, her little brother Josh, like running down the aisle of the supermarket and getting chased, I think by the skull mask like killer. Yeah, yeah. And so she's like, it's a really tough moment for Dina. And then Sam finally like goes unconscious. So we assume she's dead
0: and all the killers just disappear. Poof poof so now the question is do they get her back and man
1: they put like 12 epipens right in her <laughs> chest i'm not sure that's how you're supposed to do an epipen. um i'm not that guy who has that knowledge but man <laughs> she's got a decent course of epinephrine coursing through her veins
0: yeah and then some chest compressions and sam is a tiny girl too yeah yeah (laughs) milligrams per kilogram
1: didn't really apply it was no yeah
0: (laughs) but it but it worked it worked she came back everything seems to be fine you know if this was the end of a regular horror movie you'd say hey that's pretty damn good you know they they made it out maybe they'll make a sequel whatever but they continue the story they go back to their house you know, it Josh is talking to the person online and it seems like, you know, the person's like, Oh, two more, you know, two druggies just got killed, and he's like, No, those were my friends, you know. I kinda like that part of showing the humanity of the situation. Yeah. And then obviously Dina and Sam are canoodling in, in the bed and whatnot, and then you know, a call comes on the phone and it's C Berman. And it turns out I don't I don't remember, do they show who it actually is? in this movie or do we wait i think we wait until the second to see who it actually was yeah so it's it's just a voice on on the phone at this point saying that she didn't really survive it never ends you know and dina's like well fuck you it did i you know we survived we're all good we killed the witch and you know the woman's like nope no you definitely didn't and you don't hear it happen but you see dina turn around and Sam is staring there, is standing there, definitely possessed. Mm-hmm. And flies buz- buzzing around her, and she has already s- pushed the knife into Dina's stomach. Yeah. And even right there, I thought we are done with this movie. <laughs> I was we like, okay, <laughs> Dina's dead. I guess it's up to Josh now in the second one. But that's not true. Dina is a fighter. She still ends up surviving that. She ties up. Uh, she ties up Sam, gets her brother, and that is the end of the movie is them going to see, see Berman. And dude, right, right there, they had me. Yeah. I was like, they put all this together. They've got strong characters. They have a destination. You know, they show a trailer for the second one. You know, they're going to do a camp slasher type movie. I'm like, fuck yeah, that's a great horror movie trope. I'm up for this. Let's see what happens. So then we go into the second one. So you want to take this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So,
1: Or should we do like a review of the first one first? Like as a standalone episodic. Okay. Honestly, my favorite of the three. I'm I think with you, buddy. I'm be, with you. Yeah, it could have been its own standalone adventure, but it sets up a series of sequels that you actually are invested in because it's such a compelling story with such great characters. Exactly. Liked it. Might even have loved it, I think, as far as recent horror slashers I've seen. It's pretty damn well done. Yep. It's quick. Really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was succinct. You cared about the characters, as I mentioned I think they did some really good directorial stuff. The writing was good. The writing was believable. I understood why they had the thought processes that they did. No one was a stupid fucking moron. Like, it wasn't dumbed down for general audiences like Halloween Kills was. It's just so well done. And I got to be honest, I did love this movie. This is definitely my favorite. I I don't look at the other two as being bad. We'll get to that. But this was definitely my favorite, like you said. If this had been a standalone movie, I would have been like Fear Street's back. <laughs> like this is this is good. I hope they make sequels that involve other people or they bring these characters backs. Like whatever you want to do is fine by me. But yeah, I was just like, wow, that was super impressive. But now we've still got two more movies. Are they going to fuck this up? Because now you're not playing with house money anymore. You, yeah. You've got you've <laughs> yeah. got the movie done. We love it. How are you going to let us down in the other two? That's that's the way I was thinking. But yeah. I would certainly recommend this to anybody. Doesn't matter your age. I think this this is a type of movie that kind of, it's not held back because it's not PG-13, because it's rated R. It gives people a lot more to look into. And like you had mentioned before, it's not a typical high school slasher. You don't meet a whole bunch of bullies. You don't have to deal with clicks and whatnot. None of that stuff is in here. It just focuses on, at the time, these four people. And I think they do a great job at it. Yeah, definitely. So yes, let's go on to Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Ooh. Ooh. So it kicks off immediately with them
1: visiting the, you know, older survivor, C. Berman, that they were on the phone with.
0: Now, it might be easier if we just give away the twist. We probably should, right? Because otherwise, we're just going to be saying "C. Berman" and no one's going to understand what's going on. So, should we just tell the whole story succinctly? I guess. Do it. All right. Well, one thing I will say uh, that I that I've noticed a lot because I saw this, and I know I'm I'm coming back to Halloween kills, but I, I can't help it. There were a lot of reviews and a lot of people talking about how great the recent ha- uh, Halloween movies have been at showing people who have dealt with trauma. in in their lives. Now, by the way, that's complete bullshit because every single horror movie sequel does the exact same thing. Go back to uh, Scream 3, for instance. You know, Nev Campbell, Sidney Prescott, lives by herself. She has set up a protective grid around her. Barely anyone has her phone number. All that stuff's already been done. It's not new. It's not Jamie Lee Curtis doing it in, you know, Laurie doing it in Halloween does not It doesn't matter. It was done years and years and years before. It's nothing new. That's what they do here as well, where C. Berman is played by the woman from Community. And I don't know why. Jillian Jacobs. Jillian Jacobs. And she basically lives in a a house that she doesn't leave. And she has tons of locks everywhere and weapons and alarm clocks. And she's basically just trying to survive. She has never stopped thinking that people weren't going to come after her. So that's that's what she's in right now. Now she reluctantly lets the kids in and they've still got Sam chained up so she see, she sees that Sam is chained up that Sam is possessed she believes that that's the witch and that the witch is in you know the reason for all of these things happening. And what ends up happening so her her real name is or her nickname is Ziggy. So that's that's the twist. Is you think that it's her sister that survives but it's not it's it's her. So she basically tells the story of when she was at camp with her sister Cindy. Uh, what what age would you say she was? Probably like high school, right? Somewhere around there, 13, yeah. 14. And Cindy's yeah. like end of high school. So she's probably like 17, 18. And you know what? I'm actually kind of at a loss, Nick. How do we want to tell this one? Because if we go really deep into it, then we're gonna be taking like an hour to do this. I, I think,
1: yeah, the first one. I guess it, it makes sense that we spent a lot of time on it because it introduces, you know, a lot of the stuff about the setting and the plot. Mm-hmm. The second one, when I mean, when you really boil it down, thank God they chose to go, I, I guess, with a, a lighter story. Sure. Not like lighter in the sense of like, oh, it's not gruesome. It's definitely, but gruesome. in the sense of like, yeah, it, it's not, you know, deeply building a plot. It's, I would say, it's honestly just a good camp horror movie. Yeah. As in, not campy, but like it occurs at a summer right. camp, <laughs> right. like wet hot American yes. summer style.
0: Yeah, right, right. It's Late not 70s. sleepaway. Yeah, it's not sleepaway camp or anything like that shit. It's it's a good camp movie, and yeah, basically, you know, Ziggy is the outsider. Shady. This is a mixture of Shady Side kids and Sunnyvale kids. So there's that whole. Like, like right down the middle, they do a color war, and that's how they separate people is from where you were born, and where you're living, <laughs> which is pretty fucking nuts in general. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, you learn her sister is like the uptight, I'm getting out of Shadyside girl. So she kind of acts like a Sunnyvale girl. So they, you know, they have their issues, their eternal issues. Then you meet Nick, the sheriff that we talked about from the first movie. He's a camp counselor. You know, But everyone knows that his family is very prosperous and that he's going to be the next sheriff and all this kind of stuff. But he takes a liking to Ziggy. He's had like a crush on her for a while. So they end up teaming up to get back against some of the bullies. At that time, Cindy, her boyfriend, you see that his name is carved in the stone by some type of magic. You also see that in the first movie with Sam as well. So you know that's not a good thing. You know that means the person is possessed. So now Cindy's boyfriend is the one who's possessed. He becomes that masked axe killer. And you meet a few other people that are not. I mean, I think the the only one of real importance was the friend with the short hair of Cindy. Alice. Yeah, what was her name? Alice. Yes. Pretty sure. Alice, Alice is probably the only real character of note um where she used to be friends with Cindy they end up kind of becoming friends again and what ends up happening is and, and we'll get to we'll talk about the nurse later cuz i think that'll play more into uh film 3 but what ends up happening is the nurse goes a little crazy they have to take her away it turns out the nurse is the mother of Ruby Lane it turns out she finds This underground area that has the stones with all the names on it, as well as some other witchcraft type stuff, as well as that moss. All that stuff is growing around there. So the guy gets turned into another killer. He starts, he kills a ton of kids. Now, I will say they did, you know, kind of pull their punch with that a little bit where they didn't really show it. But I also don't think you needed to see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of kids died. Like A, a oh, fucking yeah. lot of kids died He just axed them to fucking death It was pretty crazy actually So he kills those people Cindy becomes almost like a final girl uh, Alice ends up Finding part of the Part of the story of Sarah Fear is that her hand Before she was hung Her hand had been cut off And no one really knows why But her hand is in a different area Than her body So they start to think well if we're able to find her hand and bury it with her body, then maybe the curse on, you know, sunny, uh, on a shady side will be done. Maybe that's all we have to do. And I love that too because you've gone now in two different directions. First you had, you know, people are possessed by the witch and these are the people you have to survive to burying the bones, which wasn't enough. But now if we, if we unite the hand with the bones... Then that's a great idea. Like that'll put her to rest. That makes sense. So Alice ends up finding the the hand, the skeleton hand, in that underground area. So her and Cindy reunite with Ziggy, and they realize, okay, this is we can go to the hanging tree, which is there in the in the camp itself, and just bury this, and we'll find the body should be there because that's where we've always been told that's been buried, and then we'll put the the hand in there and we'll be good. Alice gets a fucking, you know, actually by the way I will mention, Cindy had a lot of great possible kill moments, I guess you can say with the with uh, her boyfriend the killer where mm-hmm. she was pretty brutal and separating his fucking head with a shovel was great fucking work. <laughs> yeah. I'm always a fan of that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of when someone goes crazy and just doesn't stab someone because they realize it's something more supernatural you have to do something else i appreciate that so she cuts his whatever forces his head off his body but then ruby lane shows up and these other characters show up and alice gets killed before she can help them so now it's ziggy and cindy and they're going they run to the tree they start digging but they can't find the body i i believe it was before then when cindy got the vision Of the witch, she had bled on the hand. And I think also Ziggy does the same thing. So they see there's a great moment where it's all dark outside. Everyone's gone, you know, either dead or hiding. And it's just them underneath this tree trying to dig up the uh, the body of Seraphir. And they see all the different supernatural killers that have been raised from the from the grave and you know they got like a little kid with a weird mask and a baseball bat and then you've got the milkman and you've got all the you know all the other ones except for ghost mask guy because he hasn't been killed yet in you know in this timeline and they're all coming at and Cindy realizes that she can't stop them from killing her but maybe she can save Ziggy but that doesn't fucking work either and they get fucking slaughtered And I was super surprised at that scene. That might be one of the most brutal scenes in horror movie history. It was ultra brutal.
1: Ultra. It was insane. Yeah. Like, all told in real time, it maybe would have taken 15 seconds. (laughs) But most of it is in, like, that slow motion, like, oh, like, you're seeing your sister die. And they have that swelling music in the background with, you know, random operatic sections. Yep.
0: And they just get obliterated. It's like 80 stab wounds. Oh my God. And so, once again, talk about intimate. Like, he's stabbing, like, Ziggy's getting stabbed by the one guy in the side, like, in between the ribs and shit like that. Like, he's just, like, licking her and stabbing her. And then Cindy's boyfriend, dead boyfriend, is just axe slamming her in the fucking chest. Yeah. Over and over again. And you know, it's it's unrealistic that Cindy would be able to talk to Ziggy while this is happening, but because she would have been dead by like the first one. But it's a fucking horror movie with supernatural tendencies. So I, uh, you know, you give it a pass. But they're basically reaching out to each other, saying that they'll never let each other go. But they're still like a foot away, their hands, as they're being fucking murdered. And both of them end up, you know, being killed. So all the bad guys disappear. All the bad guys and girls, you know, I don't want to be sexist. All of them disappear. And you're just left with both of them. But then Nick shows up. And Nick, I think, uh, does CPR. Yeah, he does CPR on Ziggy. And she wakes up. And that is the person... Who ended up surviving? That's C. Berman. That's what we talked about at the beginning. So, right there, you've got that connection because as we talked about, Nick, we, we didn't go into every scene, but basically Nick and Ziggy become closer as this is happening at camp. And as they leave, Ziggy tells them the curse is real. You know, you gotta, you know, do this, do that, whatever. And when the police come, you realize Nick isn't. The good guy that you thought, because when the police come and ask him what happens, he just says that the boyfriend went crazy. Yeah.
1: And we should say this is future sheriff Nick Good. I know I mentioned it at the start. Oh, but sure. this is the same character that revives her. Yes. Becomes the sheriff we talked about in the first movie.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So at this time, though, Ziggy, now we're in future present day, I guess I should say present day. She still trusts him, even though she said she's never talked to him since because how could she? She still thinks that he's a good guy at this moment because she didn't see any of, of that kind of stuff. But I still thought the dynamics of that whole thing worked so, so well, giving a little bit more of a backstory to everything. And then once you flash forward to present day to 1994 or whatever, then what they do is they go, well, Where is the hand? Where's the skeleton hand? Because you didn't get to put them together. And she says, well, I think it's still under the tree. They go to the mall and that tree, see, everything's so interconnected. That tree is still in the mall, the shady, the shady side mall. So they go in there, they dig it up. The skeleton hand is still there, which is very unrealistic, but it's there. They get the skeleton hand and then Dina leaves Josh in the car, says, don't follow her she goes over to the grave and she's about to put the skeleton hand together and she's bleeding, I think, possibly. But basically, she sees a vision the same way that Sam did from the first movie. But this time, she is in a real, she's in a, a, like, her reality has now been shattered and she's now back in 1666. And that's how you end part two. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, Nick, we'll do what we did before. What were your thoughts on part two? I would say it's less of a
1: good, like, self-contained story. Like, it, I think it relies heavily on a lot of information you gain in part one. Yes. Overall, very competent slasher. I think we were able to go through it quick because, yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of like a quick view Flasher. i yeah. mean there's a lot of like pretty gruesome kills a lot on kids too which was like wow that was that was pretty brutal right there were less like cool kill scenes like the first one with like the bread slicer and everything <laughs> right. but in terms of like you know your classic you know st- uh, camp murder mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty solid it-, it was a good self-contained story
0: yeah i think saying classic works very well for that because yeah and then you go with classic too with characters that you didn't care about you know, there were characters there that you felt nothing for whatsoever. Yeah, you know, the, oh, absolutely. You know, the the chick the chick that liked to smoke weed a lot, but really liked the Sunnyvale. I guess that's his brother. Is that Nick Good's brother or whatever? So he ends up being mayor later on in, yeah. in, the, in the third film. But he's in charge of the camp and she wants to have sex with him and they do. But it doesn't matter to the story. You know what I mean? None of that matters. You don't care about that chick. Also, her friend with the longer curly hair and stuff, you don't care about him. You don't care about the boyfriend. You don't, you know, there are so many characters in this that are different than the characters that you met in the first movie. And that kind of makes it classic, too. You've got your your few characters that you do care about, and then you've got all the rest that are there, basically, to just take the axe. That's, that's all they're there for. And that's what happened. But I really like the dynamics between Ziggy and Cindy. I thought that was a really well done story between the two of them. Cindy, you know, being that stereotypical, like she's like, I'm never going to get out of this, uh, out of this town. But then she tries to change herself to be one of the perfect people. It doesn't work out. And she realizes that all that really matters is her family and she wants to be able to save her sister, but ultimately, I mean, she did it technically, I guess, but ultimately didn't because of the way things turned out. Yeah. And I I thought that was really well done. Yeah. And the
1: the first one was,
0: I mean, especially good in my opinion, because
1: it set up a series of logical conclusions that the kids would try in order to escape death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe kill the monster. Totally get it. It was, you know, succinct in that way. The second one introduces a lot of like, I guess Ian would call it. The, the slasher bait, just people to put <laughs> axes into yep. forgettable characters that, you know, have three seconds of dialogue that makes them seem important, but then they get murdered the next scene and that's fine. Yeah. But it sets up what I think is the biggest challenge of the third one where it combines a little bit of both of those aspects.
0: Yes, absolutely. It has and,
1: yeah. a shitload of characters. Yes. And unfortunately, <laughs> Uh, maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. We're going to have to find out by uh, talking about Fear Street Part 3 at some point. Right now.
0: <laughs> right now. What? No way! Oh my god, I can't believe it. We shocked oh, wow. everybody. We are, we, by the way, we are talking about these films quicker than I ever thought we would be able to, so I'm actually pretty proud of us for this. <laughs> Not to suck our own dicks on this, but I am I am. <laughs> yeah, we are pretty cool and smart yeah. and pretty. We're so, yeah, smart and pretty and all this stuff. It's so, it's <laughs> so fucking good. Huh, okay. So then we pick up on Fear Street Part 3, 1666, 1666. If you're 555, I'm Ooh. 666. That's right. <laughs> uh, we start right away, though. We don't, there's no preamble, there's no, you know, you can skip the recap that they have in, in Netflix, it's completely up to you, and we are in the old sediment, settlement town, settlement town, settlement town, of Shadyside. So that's where they are in this time, and now what you're dealing with is you're dealing with the basically pilgrims type people, and what they've done is they've taken the characters that you know or know slightly, from the first two films, and now they're in this area and they're all playing different characters. So, what I liked about this was Dina did not get put into Sarah Fear's place and then have to solve clues or something to get to where she needs to be. Dina has no control over anything. It's just she is the character now that is Sarah Fear, and then it's just telling. Sarah Fear's story from front to back. That's that's what this is. So you're going to recognize characters, but barely any of them have or are the ancestors of the people. You know what I mean? They're not the same yeah. people. They're just playing these different characters from the settlement. So, I think the main thing to say for this is that Sarah Fear is a lesbian and she's a lesbian for Sam's new character, which I think is Hannah if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then every other character either, you know, they have different personality traits. But basically, there are some people that like the girls and they don't want to be a part of it because they like each other. Um, But it's Puritan stuff. So you're definitely not going to be able to be a lesbian in 1666. I mean, I guess it's bad Mm -hmm. enough in 1994, I guess, even though I remember there being many, many lesbians who were out during that time. But it is what it is. So, in 1666, you're not getting away with that. So, the main people that you need to know for this one is Solomon. So, Solomon is Nick Good's family, whatever. He's the first Solomon Good. And he came over from a different settlement that is nearby. But his wife, and I think his wife and child, I think his wife died during childbirth, maybe. And he had gone to a witch who was played by the same person who played the mom of Ruby Lane, who was Jordanos, Jordana Spiro, who was the lead in that show, My Boys, if you ever saw that. Nope. Nope. Okay. She's, she's <laughs> good She's good for what she does. She doesn't have a whole lot to do here. Uh, but anyway, she's a witch and she has this book. And they end up seeing the book at some point. Sarah thinks that she, when she opened the book, that she basically let the devil into her. Because what ends up happening is they go out, you know, they go out gallivanting as as children would in the Pilgrim times, I guess. And they're doing, like, mushrooms and whatever and dancing around and drinking. And that's the first time that Sarah and Hannah get together. And someone sees them, but they don't know who it is. And then all of a sudden the next day, things start going bad with the pigs that they're raising and like the water is tainted, and there's a bunch of stuff that ends up happening that would lead you to believe that this is Shady side the way that they've set it up where it's cursed. So she thinks she's the one who's brought the curse on by making the moves on Hannah, even though Hannah wants it, she that's what she thinks is that she, by opening up that book, she's become or been possessed by Satan, and now everything's gonna go bad uh for her. But one of the major things to note is that there's a preacher who seems super nice and everyone loved him and all this kind of stuff, and then he ends up acting kind of strange. And you find out that he's the first person who's put in the in the stone that we've seen from the last two times. So he becomes possessed. And this was super brutal as well. Do you want to describe this scene, Nick? Uh no, not really. <laughs> All right, I I'll do it then. So Solomon, Sal, I I always say that weird, but Solomon and Sarah are friends. They they kind of commiserate about what what's going on in the town and all that kind of stuff. And you can tell maybe Solomon likes her a little bit. You're not too sure, but most likely. But his family did pass away, so who knows? So she helps him out with that kind of stuff. So they're running around trying to see what's going on. And Solomon goes into the church because the priest has locked himself or the reverend, whatever, has locked himself in there with the town's children. And he makes his way in and Sol- uh, and the, the priest is there on the, on the pulpit just like kind of tapping something and kind of murmuring to himself. And all the kids are in the pews, but they're not moving. And as Solomon inches closer, because he doesn't know what's going to happen, he tells everyone to stay back and he goes in. There's a pile of something in the middle of the ground. And it fucking turns out to be a bunch of eyeballs. Yeah. And it turns out that the priest has not only taken out his own eyeballs with this like metal claw, just like a basic metal claw thing. But he's also killed all of the fucking children. And taken all of their fucking eyes, and they show it. They don't show him ripping any eyes out, but they show like their eyeless, their eyeballless heads. Yeah, and it's pretty fucked up.
1: And I'd say that's why it's a perfect d- difference between Ian explaining the scene to me. <laughs> I'd have been like, "Yeah, the Pastor's at the front of the room. He's got his eyes out. Uh, it Kind of looks like he took everybody else's eyes out. So that's kind of spooky." <laughs> I think Ian conveys theme <laughs> uh, and setting a lot better than I do. Kind of spooky. It's kind of spooky. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's kind of spooky. spooky. You Nobody's know got eyes. He's still alive, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still no eyes because he's possessed. You know, he's he's yeah. possessed by the witch or whatever. So he goes after uh So when Sarah, everyone ends up making their way in and they're, they're screaming uh, as they hug their children, their dead children now. And Sarah makes her way to her brother Josh. Obviously, he's not Josh in this, but it's played by the same character. He falls over, and as she's screaming about that, the pastor go the priest goes over to to kill her as well. And Solomon comes over with a uh, you know uh, um the haystack thing, the trident basically, and spears him and kills him. So now, obviously, it's 1666. So you're not going to say, oh well, this was just a murderer. You're going to go, where's the witch? someone's got to hang for this. There's definitely something bad going on here. So they all get together as a townspeople and they're trying to piece together the stories of what happened the night before with all the kids and they're, you know, frolicking and, and having adult fun that they shouldn't be having, especially in 1666. So it's, it's said by some of the guys who got thwarted, I guess, by Hannah and, you know, they got cock blocked by Hannah and and I want to say Dina, but it's uh yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Yeah. All this cock blocking, they're not a fan of that. So they're like, well, obviously they're witches. Like, get, yeah. the, get the witches. Because why would a woman ever, you know, shoot them down? That's Exactly. A good point. Exactly. They were super cool pilgrim guys. They had everything going for them. So yeah, it just, <laughs> it just makes sense. So <laughs> Sarah, Sarah escapes with, with Hannah at the time, then Hannah gets captured. And Sarah makes it over to, well, she sees her father and, you you know, there wasn't really much of a story there. Basically, she had seen her father before and her father was like, you know, this is my fault with your mother being gone. I raised you as a boy. I gave you too much freedom, blah, blah, blah. So he's trying to justify why she's a lesbian or why she's acting out or whatever. So now he's become a drunk, which is similar to her actual father. So she runs away from that too. And she runs to the witch. So that she can say, "Hey, well, I'm gonna use that book now because if they really think that I'm a witch, then I might as well be one." She shows up at the. Uh, they call her the widow or whatever. Uh, I shouldn't have called her the witch. So the widow. She shows up there, and the widow is dead, and the book is gone. Mm-hmm. So who could have? Who could have done it? Who saw her and Hannah in the woods? All this needs to be explained. So she obviously runs to the next person who she thinks she can trust, and that's Solomon Good. He hides her, He, you know, before the the mob comes to check his house. He says, you know, go, I know you, you weren't responsible for this. Go and hide and, you know, I'll come find you. She then stumbles upon an underground cavern that you will recognize from seeing the second part. This is where the stones are and where the weird, you know, there's no moss here yet, but there's a bunch of symbols, there's a bunch of the witchcraft stuff. And Sarah puts it together that it was Solomon. Yeah. And Solomon, you know, gets rid of the people. He comes to see her. He's, you know, he's in love with her, Uh, blah, blah, blah. He can, you know, he's tired of being, you know, bad things happening to him and his family. He wants the best. Why not take it while he can have it? You know, that kind of stuff. Obviously, that doesn't work on Sarah. Sarah's like, fuck you. I'm out. You know she tries to escape. He's trying his whole "I love you so much," so let me tear your fucking arm off, your fucking hand, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So he goes through his whole master plan. You know how the bad guy has to tell what happened. So he, you know, they show in backstory how he had chosen the priest. You know, to, the father's name to put on the put on the stone. Now that's why that all happened, and then. He tries to stop Sarah from telling anybody, and that's when her hand was brutally ripped off. Once again, I did not think they would show it, but they oh, did. they do. They really do. Yeah, they show that first break where you're like, oh, her wrist is broken. That really sucks. And then it's, oh, no, he's going to tear her hand off after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it makes you care about the characters more. So you care about Sarah. You want her to make it out. She does fight him off. She gets out of that underground area and she comes up where basically where the priest is. She, you know, where the the church is. She comes up underground. So once again, they've shown you that these underground tunnels are throughout Shadyside and Sunnyvale. Oh, yeah. They go ahead. And it was a little it's a, a thing to note as well that when Solomon Good was talking about his family, his other part of his family being on the other settlement. That's Sunnyvale, so he's in Shady Side right now. So it makes sense in the in the whole scheme of how they're they're doing things. So then it looks like Sarah is going to have a chance now. She doesn't have her hand, and she makes it through the church. And Hannah's you know locked up over by a statue or whatever the fuck. And then people see her, and it looks like Sarah is going to be able to say, "I found who's responsible." Blah 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 but then Solomon good shows up behind her grabs her by the hair and says I found the witch so there's nothing that she's going to be able to do now so they go to hang her and they're going to hang Hannah but she takes responsibility for being a witch says that she bewitched you know Hannah and everything it's not her fault so now it's just her that is going to be hung All of her friends that you've seen in the last two movies are there. And they're sad, obviously, because they know that Sarah isn't a witch. But they do the hanging, which was actually pretty damn sad, I thought. But Sarah got her last words in to Solomon Good before she was hung. She said, I will never let you out of my grasp. Your curse is going to be the truth. And she explains that he's never going to get away with it, no matter how long it takes, that he is cursed by her. Right there, you know, if you hadn't put it together already, that the witch is not the curse on the land. That is being done by Solomon Good. The only curse is the one on him, that at some point, this is going to come to an end. At least that's what the, you know, Seraphia is saying. So, she gets hung The reason why her body was not under that tree that Ziggy and Cindy were trying to find is because her friends actually dug her up and said, this is not a proper burial. They took her away where no one would find her and buried her out by where that highway ends up being in 1994. So all the pieces, all the puzzle pieces are being connected right here. You understand why the motivation was for certain acts and how it, affects everything in the future as well. So now, Nick, did I miss anything there? No,
1: and I kind of want to draw attention to that. Is yes. That's roughly 45 minutes out of the movie that <laughs> Ian was able to put together. And, <laughs> I don't know, we'll call that a five-minute little loss. <laughs> and that's, you know, something I didn't like about this movie so much is that, man, they really densely pack a lot of useless characters in with a lot of useful character development for sure. the series as a total. But I think the way they pack it together to make the trilogy make sense really makes this movie very hard to follow. At least it was for me. Really?
0: Okay. I. Yeah, well, do because... You think, well, let me, let me like, ask you this then. Do you think if they had started with 1666, you would have liked it better? That's an
1: interesting one. I think no matter what, on its merit alone, I did not like the entirety, really, of the 1666 portion.
0: Okay, so just part one, though, of the third movie.
1: Yeah, I'd say only part one of the third. Well, maybe there's some stuff later, too, we might talk about. Okay. But, yeah, realistically, it felt very dense. And sometimes you can get away with dense. But right. for me, watching it on my couch, <laughs> I just could not get enveloped like I was in the previous two movies.
0: Well, I think at and that, maybe that point... That's, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, maybe
1: it's just a factor of how well you know, translated the other two movies where, where it was a pretty nice, even, linear path with little breadcrumbs along the way. Sure. This one is literally 45 minutes of dense, 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 dense exposition into The Curse and The Sour Fear. Right. And man, it's, for me, it was really tough.
0: <laughs> so I wouldn't say, for me, I don't think it was tough. But I think the whole time you're thinking, okay, we still have a second half of a movie. Yeah. And we need to find out how does this now affect what they're going to do in the present future. You know, whatever, however you want to say it. So I get that. And that is the point. That is the whole point of that 45 minutes or whatever is exposition. That's what it is. Is you need to see for yourself that Sarah Fear isn't the witch. You need to see that she's not the one who put the curse on everybody. She is not taking out her vengeance on anyone else. It is actually the creatures are trying to kill anyone who knows the truth. I thought that was at least interesting in that sense for the acting. Yeah. And, you know, they had to, you know, do the, uh, the old Puritan, uh, Puritan, uh, what do you call it? Um, accents and stuff like that. It is what oh. it is, you know, I, I, I think you just dealt, I don't think they went too far. I don't think they, you know, went too little it was somewhere in the middle where it worked sometimes, and it didn't work on other times. But I, I enjoyed it. It certainly was not anywhere near my favorite part. I still put one and two there with it, but I think this had to be done because I don't know how else you do it. Yeah, no,
1: I agree. It's a, it was a, a hard problem for them to solve. I just ugh. No, I got yeah, you. Yeah, the, the setup wasn't good for me. Uh, right. I didn't I didn't follow it well. The way I I get. Ultimately, like looking back on it, why it all had to happen, Like, but just like the stuff about, you know, the person who was thought to be the witch in the woods, like obviously you watch that character and as any audience you're like, oh yeah, like this is a witch character, like this is, I should pay attention thoroughly to everything they say because you're probably going to give me a lot of dense exposition that's important for the trilogy as a whole. Mm -hmm. But this film series does do a lot of like pump fakes. Like, a lot of, like, little fake expositionary characters that actually don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things.
0: Right, right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, who cares about, you know, the the couple of guys that were the ones who pointed the finger at them being witches? You know, that's, who who cares? Yeah. I think one of them might have been Solomon, related to Solomon, but who who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, yeah. yeah, we get past that. And now we go on to part two that comes up. And now you're back in present time. And Dina uh, just zaps out of what just happened. So, she knows now what she needs to do. She explains it to Josh. Good shows up and, you know, and wants to kill them, basically. uh, Because now he realizes they know what's going on. So, they leave. They go back to Ziggy's place. They get her and they get uh, uh, Sam, who's still possessed. She's still just been chained up the whole time. They get her and... They go to a character that we had not talked about at all. Oh. <laughs> and I think that's, that's Martin, right?
1: I'm pretty sure his name is Martin. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Martin was a person who was arrested. He's the custodial engineer of the mall. And it looked like Nick Good was going to uh, frame him basically for the murder, you know, for the murders or whatever, or at least get him for something. It seemed like they had a a past relationship where he just didn't like him or something like that. So at one point in part two, Josh had slid him a key to let him loose from the, from the cop station. So you have a little bit of a camaraderie there. And what they end up doing is they're like, they show up at his place. They're like, Hey, so you want to kill the sheriff? And he's, he just goes, let me get my coat. And now you've got to be a person. And, but I appreciated it for, it wasn't stupid. It was no. just like one of these things where it was very unrealistic, but in this story, it was fine. Yep. Like it, it just, it was it was fine. So they get Martin, they go to the mall and their grand plan is that they are going to use uh not not hand like now there's so many people's names they're going to use dina's yep. blood because now she bled on the on the skeleton so they or at least is cursed with the knowledge of truth so what ends up happening is her blood now is the one that you know all the creatures are going to go after so they take the blood and they put it to all these different stores in the mall who have the gates that can close so everyone else cleans up they've got none of her blood on them and what they do is, as the monsters come in, they go ahead and they trap them in the gates, uh, and then that way. And Dina's putting on like perfume and and all this shit to try and mask her odor and her her cut, all that kind of stuff. So they trap them. They do a good job. I mean, that once again, this is smart enough. You know, it's it it makes sense what they're doing. They know that the blood attracts the supernatural creatures, so or supernatural killers. So why not do that? So they do it, and it works. And then Nick shows up. Oh, and two police officers get killed, too. Who gives a fuck? And then Nick shows up, and this is where Ziggy sees him for the first time. And she goes back to a thing that they talked about in the second movie about Carrie and Stephen King. And she basically dumps a bucket of blood on his head. So that way, then, now, with all of that blood, all the supernatural killers are going to go after him, which normally they're there to protect him it's the devil trying to protect him and the, and the investment of all the souls that that he gets or she gets or whatever so yeah they let all the monsters out again now the monsters are coming after nick but he grabs onto Z- uh, ziggy as well and then you know obviously dina realizes what that means and i think ziggy's okay but nick gets stabbed and runs off to the basement of the mall and Dina, in order to save everyone, she cuts her hand again to have all the creatures go after her, but then Josh tries to stop those creatures with the help of Ziggy and Martin, and Dina goes off after Nick. Yep. That's that's the overarching thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's that's pretty well summed up. Yeah, and right now that plan isn't bad. I, I don't no. think that was a bad plan. They use super soakers for the blood, which is great. I mean, that's classic shit. Um that all that all works. And then once again, these are characters you care about. So I didn't want, I didn't want to see Martin dead. Like I'm, I'm glad, you know, he was able to do what he was supposed to do. You know, Nick is kind of doing some exposition while he's down in the catacombs because apparently the catacombs of all the places that they've been are underneath the mall. (laughs) So that's where the stones are with all the names and all that shit. So then you have a fight between Dina and, um, you have a fight between Dina and Nick until and also oh sorry um Sam shows up too I don't know how she got loose but Sam shows up as well so she has to knock Sam out and then she fights Nick and at one point it looks like she's going to lose but she puts Nick's hand into this basically like almost like a gigantic beating disgusting black heart almost and it's the heart of the devil maybe or whatever and that's where they've shown in the past that the supernatural creatures have kind of come out of and this time, when she puts the hand in there, Nick sees all of the you know bad things that he's done, and all the gruesome, and they go through all these death scenes in a row, which was kind of cool, to see all oh, the yeah. brutal death scenes right away. So he's shocked, so while he's shocked, Dina takes that chance to fucking stab him through the fucking eye with <laughs> a knife. <laughs> Worked out pretty well. At one point, she was stabbed too, but she had a uh, shield of uh, Fear Street books on her, which is just a nice little, you know, it's a nice little yeah, Easter nice egg little thing. Touch. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, uh, Sam comes back and she's not possessed anymore. Uh, up on the top, the monsters and creatures who were just about to kill Josh and probably some other people, they all disappear. So they leave Dina. Dina and Sam end up going through the catacombs, this, these caverns, up into Sheriff Good's mansion, basically, and it's super nice in there, and there are a bunch of inspirational posters and shit
1: uh, (laughs) in there.
0: And they're like, "What the fuck is all this?" And as they leave, the neighbors from across the street are kind of watching them, like, "Look at these dirty, bloody girls! Like, what is going on here?" And as they pull out of their driveway, or at least the the husband pulls out of the driveway, a garbage truck comes through and hits them. Yeah, and that's the show right there. That the the luck, the so-called luck of of uh, Sunnyvale, has disintegrated. That there has been a change. So then they go into the news report saying that you know evidence is being found of all this terrible stuff uh, for Good Family. So the mayor is going to lose his job probably, and all these murders were caused by the sheriff and all that kind of stuff happens. You know, the Sunnyvale seems to be better. I'm sorry, uh, Shady Side seems to be better. And it's like everyone's back to normal and they get their little parts of, you see Dina dropping Josh off at school. Josh ends up meeting his, uh, the, the girl that he was talking to online there. So it looks like they might be able to hook up or something. And then Dina and Sam get together and they're over at the grave. They write out a thing for Sarah fear, which is kind of nice. And that's the end of the movie, right?
1: Yeah. And they they do the classic, oh, somebody grabs the book at the end.
0: Yes, yeah, they did during the credits. During the credits, someone grabbed the book. It looked like girl's hands. So it was probably Dina is is the guess. But I don't know if they're planning on doing more. I would highly doubt it. I think if I read correctly, I think they said they might do a prequel with, like, the Milkman story. Stuff like that. Uh. Which is, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean... I think <laughs> this this as a whole this whole series works very well but before we go into that we I know we're talking a lot because we're trying to we're at, we're at ah we're at an hour and a half so we don't want to go yeah. too much longer but what were your thoughts on the second half of part 3 liked
1: it i think it got into a lot of the stuff that i liked about the first one mm-hmm. my only major complaint as i guess it's the same complaint with the first half man lot of handy cam, shaky cam. Sure. Which mixed with like the general claustrophobic cinematography of the movie, like you're really densely packed into like the character's point of view. Yeah. Through like not like an over-the-shoulder, but like, you know, a side perspective. Yeah. It made it really hard to track the action scene to scene. Like as a whole, yeah, looking back on it, you can get the plot, you can get the flow of events, but like in each scene It was hard to follow who was chasing who, why, because you have all these immortal beings that, you know, obviously, like no matter what you do, they're not going to go away until you resolve the conflict. Right. And it was just, I I don't know how much of it seemed like plot armor to me and how much of it was just, I was lost because there was so much frigging stuff going on.
0: (laughs) I did not have, or it did not have the same effect on me. I know what you're talking about when you come with the shaky cam, but I think they were trying to show how chaotic. Even though they had planned out what to do, there was a lot of chaotic parts of it and showing that all those parts did not work as well as they wanted to make sense in reality that nothing's going to go to plan, especially when you're dealing with the supernatural. I thought one of the cool parts also was when they end up putting blood on some of the killers so that the killers would attack each other. Like I thought that kind of stuff was good. I don't know, man. I, I, I agree. But I also was not bothered by it, I guess. I think as a whole this movie probably is the third best, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, that if that's the way you want to look at it, but as a whole, I thought this trilogy was just so so fucking good.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Still so good. Oh, the other thing I was thinking about that happened a lot in the third one, maybe it was just my fatigue. <laughs> this series relies a lot on like those little I mean, I called the pump fakes before, but like the fake resolution. Which yeah. makes fine. In the, it makes a lot of sense for these characters, like they don't understand where the curse is coming from until they see, you know, Solomon Good, like be, you know, doing the sketchy shit at the start of the third movie. But man, the amount of times it happens to me, that just cost momentum every single time. Hmm. So for the first one, it didn't really impact a lot because it was the first movie and you were still learning a lot. The second one, like. You kind of understood what the general gist of the story was and and why things were occurring. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, they had, like, at least two of those little, like, oh, you thought you solved it, but you didn't, which is still (laughs) fine. But in the third one, that final, like, part two resolution, there were at least five or six moments where they're like, yeah, we killed the bad guys. We found a way to, like, get the immortal beings to not bother us for a little while. And it really, you could have taken half of that out.
0: Yeah, probably. Like
1: the final mall fight scene, like where they have the the immortal beings kill each other, like they're lying dead, their heads are chopped off, and they don't seem to be regenerating. And then in you know some nondescript amount of time, five minutes or whatever, where Sheriff Good is fighting Dina, then they all come back to life as soon as you need that swell of conflict for the main characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I there's just see that. so
1: many of those little mini resolutions that really just added up to make it just for me. You lost the momentum too many times. And while it's an amazing series that built it back up quickly, by the end of the third one, just in that final fight scene, it really like it really tossed me for a loop.
0: Well, I think you have to because in the second one, Nick Good was was often made to look like he was conflicted about what he was supposed to do, because they they show in one of the scenes that Nick is the one who puts Cindy's uh, boyfriend's name on the stone. So he did that while he was still trying to be a quote unquote good guy. Like, so, but he, but they showed that he was trying. I don't think he was playing in his emotions for Ziggy. He really did like her. So he was conflicted about whether he wanted the responsibility. You didn't know in that second one that that's what he was talking about. But in the third one, you know that he's, he's conflicted or he was conflicted. Now, though, Mm -hmm. when they're down there in the catacombs, and Dina's trying to find him and and all that kind of stuff. He has made his choice and you need exposition from him telling about why this means something to him and that he's he is the bad guy. Yeah. Like this is the bad part of it. And then you have obviously because Sam had nothing to do, you had to get her getting loose at some point and you had mm-hmm. to have them have a little fight. So that's why I think that's why you had to justify what was going on upstairs compared to the catacombs. And I think that's why it prolonged it a little bit more is because what if you hadn't had Sam at all? You kind of needed that because otherwise her character did nothing.
1: Honestly, I would have been fine with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I get it, but I'm just saying, I think that's the way the writers were thinking about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, you have so many parallel paths you have to have converge.
0: Yeah. Cause yeah. you could have had something they, they wanted the Dina versus Sam thing but you could have had Sam up on the top fighting with the other people. Mm-hmm. But she also wasn't an undead possessed person. All these other things were supernatural undead. So you don't also probably don't want to go into the story of well, what happens if they kill her or what, you know what I mean? Like, can she actually die? All that kind of stuff. You don't really know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just, I, I really do love this trilogy. I don't really want any more of them unless they completely focus on different characters and do a different story i think that would be fine but honestly man i i found very little to complain about in these movies and maybe for me maybe for you it was fatigue because you watched them so close together with me yeah, it was true. it was one week after the next week after the next week so it was like every time i was done with the movie i was like oh man i can't wait to see what happens Like when, when part two was done, they were like, you're in 1666, what the, what the fuck's going to (laughs) happen? You know, so you're (laughs) excited about it and there's a little anticipation before instead of running through like six hours straight, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, that definitely makes sense.
1: And I would still say in total, really enjoyed the series, like overall, like highly recommended. It was, while I did do it as like a six hour marathon, pretty much (laughs) like. It was definitely enjoyable. It was either that or two Zack Snyder films. Oh, yeah, that's my oh, wow. standard of time now. If I can spend <laughs> three and a half hours or whatever on a friggin' couch watching a bunch of orange lens flare and <laughs> slow mo, uh, I, I think this is a much better investment of time. It had yes. great characters, great development. Like I've always said that I only watch like I only really enjoy horror movies that have like that mystery element of how do you overcome the evil. Because that like to me, like that gives the audience something to do and it gets you invested in the characters more Right. because it, it makes you try to think of ways they can they can fight it. Yeah. I and it, it functioned well in that role. There was that mystery aspect to it that was tied up well in the third movie. We understood why the evil happened. It was. Yeah, it was a great story. Great six hours.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think I can say it better. So I would just say for people. I I know I, I think these were popular. I know a lot of people that watch them. But these are the type of movies that I would certainly recommend over a lot of that shit garbage that's been coming out. Like if you want <laughs> real horror, like this is it. Like they gave you exactly what you should want. There weren't a lot of jump scares. It was oh, just yeah. pure horror. They went from like modern horror to classic horror to even more classic horror they did the religion thing they did i mean they did the slasher thing they did the supernatural they added all that stuff together and made an amalgamation that actually works that you know just really does work so i would certainly recommend this to people and if even if you're only going to watch one watch part one for sure see if you enjoy it and then you can go on to the next two if you want to but yeah, I think uh, and I think we did a good job. Hopefully, I know people can probably tell I'm sick. I'm sure there's a bunch of random noises that will be in the show. But, you know, it is, it is what it is. I can't help it. Uh, hopefully, these allergies will be gone soon. But Nick, I think that we are at the part of the show. And I know we talked about this last time. Do you have any final words for everybody?
1: No, I, I don't think I do. Oh, also, wait, I do. The ending, like, 10 minutes. Where, you know, the characters have had their falling action and now they're just tying up. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was nice. I don't want to call it fan service, but it was, it was cute little tie ups for each character that, you know, made it seem like they overcame this evil and they're going to do all right.
0: Right. I agree. But no, you did have something for final words that we agreed on last last
1: show. Oh, shit. Did I? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I forgot. Oh, geez. All right. Well, you think about that again for next time. <laughs> go back, go back to the Nightmare on Elm Street Three Dream Warriors episode. Actually, everyone, if you haven't listened to it, go go listen to it. But you should go listen to it and figure out what your I final words. I didn't enough for the podcast. <laughs> but I will do my final words as I normally do. Wow, I don't think I can remember my final words. <laughs> my allergies are killing me. All right, and I will leave you the way I always do, long days and pleasant nights. Thanks, everyone.